Hey, all right. Well, that's a fast turnaround. We got a lot of stuff going on today. So if you are giving your offering or getting coffee or filling out anything at the counter, just make your way in as soon as possible. But for the rest of us, the butter's got to roll. There you are. <laughs> so we're still um, we're working off the series Kingdom Culture. And... Um, for those of you that need a refresher, and I'll remind you of this every week just because this is what we're all about. Um, anybody ever heard the story or ever heard the word that you're in the world but not of it? Anybody ever heard that? Right? So we are in a world, but we are not of this world. We're in the idea of a world, according to Scripture, is a system of thinking, of attitudes, and of actions. And so Jesus is telling us we're in a system of thinking, of attitudes, and actions, but we are not of that system. Which begs the question, then what system are we a part of? If we're not part of this system, then what system are we a part of? And we are part of heaven's culture. And so as a Christian... We are a people of another world. The Bible even tells us this world is in our home. And so what God is calling us to do is be a people that lives from and understands our identity from his world and live that way upon the earth. And that's a lot more than just do's and don'ts. Oftentimes we talk about culture and we're talking about it in the terms of do's and don'ts. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang out with those that do, and Jesus is going to love you. Well, that's not exactly what he's going for. What he's going for is on earth as it is in heaven. The culture of earth being brought to the culture of, he to, to culture of heaven, being brought to the culture of the earth through the lives of the people. That's the point. We are the instruments of his culture. So in order for that to happen, we have to understand the culture of heaven. Right? That'd be a pretty good idea. Right? If, we, if that's what we're doing, then we need to understand what it is that we're actually trying to do. And so the culture of heaven is centered in relationships. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what the culture of heaven looks like. We're talking about uh, one of the things we have to understand is that the culture of heaven is centered in relationships. And you guys can say this with me because you're going to get a lot of freedom about this because there's so much, so, such a big part of our lives are based on relationships. And we're so confused about relationships. So let's say this together. All relationships. All relationships. Oh, nobody wants to talk about relationships. All relationships. Revolve around two things, love and respect. All relational problems can be traced to one of two things, a lack of love or a lack of respect. Relationships are not that complicated. God did not make them that complicated. What's complicated is the people that operate within the relationships. There's either an absence of love or there's an absence of respect. There's either unloving attitudes and unloving actions, or there's disrespectful attitudes and disrespectful actions, which leads to what's called an offense, and the word offense is to push back. You're unloving, I push you back. You're disrespectful, I push you back. That's how it works. That's how relationships break down. But love and respect are summed up in the word honor. So if we can understand honor, we can unlock love and respect because it flows. And if we can understand honor, we can understand that honor is literally the cult, how the culture of heaven operates. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So we know that heaven's government is a government of relationship. So everything in heaven flows from this relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the essence of that relationship is not just love and respect, it's summed up in honor. So what we have, we have to understand again, the Lord, Greg, I'm doing fire starters, so you need to sign up, okay? All right, Are you missing, yeah, you, you down? Okay, I want to make sure I get that to you before I 
I didn't see you. Um, so love and respect. So what we have is we have the Father who honors the Son, the Son who honors the Spirit, the Spirit who honors the Son, the Spirit honors the Father, the Father honors the Spirit, and so on and so forth. And so what we see in the culture of heaven is a constant mutual honoring, a constant preferring of one to the other. That's what honor is. Honor is the preference of one above the other, is the preference of others above self. And actually, in order to get into honor, we have to understand and we have to see as heaven would see. You can't honor a person unless you can see as heaven would see them. Because let's just face it, we're not really that lovable and we're not really that likable. If you really want to get down to it. And it's not just other people, it's yourself too. And a lot of times there's a lot of dishonor that people have towards themselves because they don't see themselves or live the way that heaven would see them. And so they dishonor themselves because they're not seeing and understanding how God actually sees them. So if we understand that, honor is seeing a person for who they are without being offended by who they are not. Just let that sizzle for a minute. Say it with me. Honor is seeing a person for who they are without being offended by who they are not. Now, in order to see a person for who they are, you have to see it through heaven's eyes. You cannot see the person for who they are without heaven's eyes. I'll give you a couple quick stories on offenses. Sherry and I, we go thrift shopping. Woo! I got cheers in first service, but no, no. We go to the little thrift store. We like the, it's a curiosity shop, so we find nice interesting things in there. And, um, she's, and Sherry's a professional. She's really good at it. Um, so we find all these interesting things. So we're there the other day, and uh, you know, when I get the shirt, I put it in the cart. I'm going to get the shirt. And so I'm off doing my thing. She's off doing her thing. And, and this dude comes up to Sherry and wants the shirt out of the cart. And I keep seeing this guy coming up to talk to Sherry. And I can see Sherry talking back. And I go, what's this guy want? And she's like, he wants you to give him the shirt. And I said, well, just give it to him. I said, it's not that important. She's like, I'm not giving it to him. The guy's rude. She's like, he's really pushy and he's rude and he's obnoxious. And then she started telling me what he said. And he said, uh, your husband's too fat. He'll never fit that shirt. And I'm like, you're not getting that shirt, man. So <laughs> he's like, he's too fat. He can't fit that shirt. And so, uh, yeah. Uh, and, but anyway, as time went on, I thought, oh, man, I'll just give the guy the shirt. I'll just give the guy the shirt. I'll just bless him. So I just ended up giving the dude the shirt. Well, then I buy this, this. He was looking at this jacket. He puts the jacket back on the rack and goes off on his way. And so I grab, the, I grab this jacket. I go up and I pay for it. And after I'm done paying for it, I'm getting ready to leave. The guy's standing at the counter going, you took my jacket. I'm like, dude, I didn't take your jacket. I'm like, I gave you a shirt. I didn't take your jacket. And he goes, no, you took that jacket. I was going to buy that jacket. He's like, I want to look in your bag. I'm like, you're not looking in my bag, man. You know? And immediately, I was just really trying to calm myself in the presence of an offense. Okay? So I leave. No big deal there. Then the next, I go back there a couple days later, whatever, and I see the guy. And he's just staring at me. And what was really provoking to me is he says, you took my jacket. I said, I didn't take your jacket. He goes, no. I, and I go, no. And he goes, no? No? Like that up in my face. Now, if you're a dude, I don't really need to explain to you how somebody up in your face going, no, no, makes you feel or actually sends your mind into another direction. I'm like looking at him going, my fist going through your face is what I'm seeing right now, you know? Anyway, so I left and then I'm there the other day and he's looking, he's staring at me. I see the same dude. He's there staring at me from across the room and I'm going through the racks of clothes, nice and slow, but in my mind I was like racing through them. And I'm saying to the Lord, this guy is offending me. 
I'm praying. I'm like, this guy is provoking me. I feel provoked by this guy, Lord. And I'm trying to sort out why I'm feeling provoked. You know, like, okay, I'm trying to figure this out. Why is this guy just provoking me so crazy? And I heard the Lord say to me, love is not easily provoked. And so that's 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not easily provoked. And so immediately I back up and I go, okay, so I need to see this guy as heaven would see him. Take a calm, take a breather. I'm like, what do you say of this guy, Lord? And he's telling me, look, the guy's broken, Kevin. He's insecure. He's very selfish. He's greedy. He doesn't know me. And then the Lord starts showing me how I see this guy. And so then I was able to respect him, not because I was, I didn't say I liked him, but I was able to respect him, not because of the way I was seeing him, but be the way that God was revealing him to me. So I was able to honor him in spite of his behavior. And so, yes, and so it gets better. I had this happen to me like three times this week. And so then I've been working out with my son. We've been going to the gym. I don't know if you can tell. Can you tell? I'm trying to fit that shirt that that guy said I was too fat to fit. Anyway, my son wants to go to the gym, so I've been taking him to the gym. And he, but he likes to go to the gym at 11 o'clock at night, which is crazy. But he, that's, I know, right? Help me out. And so uh, we go there, and then we're he wants to get a Gatorade. So I stop at a gas station. It's like 24 hours. Get a Gatorade, and i got to buy something else. And so I, I just kind of toss it on the counter. And the girl looks at me and goes, I would appreciate it if you wouldn't throw things at me. And I thought she was joking. <laughs> You know, because, like, I joke around a lot with the cashiers, you know. Like, I joke around with people sometimes. And I thought she was joking. I go, what? And she goes, don't throw things at me. And I'm like, well, I didn't throw it at you. I, threw it, I, I was, like, literally grabbing stuff and just tossing it on the counter. And I said, I threw it on the counter. I said, I didn't mean to throw it at you. And she goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> my blood was, like, hot. I felt, like, hot blood moving through me. And my son looks at me and is like, oh, my gosh, Dad's going to say something. And so I calmed myself, and I looked at her, and I said, um, what's your name? She's like, she tells me her name. I said, I just want to bless you, and I just want to honor you. And I started saying stuff. I said, I'm sure maybe people mistreat you, and maybe, and she's like, no, nobody mistreats me. She's like being all hyper-defensive. And I said, well, regardless, I said, I just want to bless you, and I just want to honor you. And I go to the car, and I get in the van, and my, brother, my son's looking at me going, wow. He's like, and he's like, I can't believe you. And I go, I told Elias, I said, that is not what I wanted to do or what I wanted to say. And I feel like God was kind of provoking me or allowing these provocations in order for me to illustrate this message a little bit. Because I, man, I'm, I'm actually glad I passed that test because I did not want to not, I did not want to bless her in that moment. But I kept seeing it and I kept feeling like I was asking the Lord, how is, you know, to show me. And I felt like the Lord was showing me this girl is very abused. And, she's, and there's something with males, because there was a girl before me, and she was throwing stuff on the counter like crazy. She didn't say anything to her, but she definitely said something to me. So I know it was kind of gendered towards a man, and I don't know if I reminded her of somebody or something, but she was definitely provoked by me, or it was the light in me provoking the darkness in her. But regardless, I felt like the Lord was, at, Lord was showing me she's hurt, she's abused, she's mistreated. Just be respectful and be honoring. And so this is the essence of honor. It's being able to see a person for who they are without being offended by who they are not. And the essence of that is being able to see with heaven's eyes. Very important. You guys understanding all this? Yeah. And so that's really important. Heaven is centered in honor. God is a God of honor. God has seen you not as you are. He sees you. He has seen you in light of his love. Not as who he's not offended by who you are not. Jesus humbled himself and came beneath you. You don't offend the Lord. There is no more offense. There is therefore now no condemnation. The offense has been removed. God has honored you and come beneath you and has lifted you up. And so if the essence of heaven is honor and we are his people, then we are to be a people of honor. And we are to understand honor and we are to operate from the position of honor. 
And we are to seek. That's how God operates with you. He is not looking at you, Christian, with eyes of condemnation. He is not disappointed in you. Why is he not disappointed? Because you never appointed him. You cannot disappoint the one whom you did not appoint. He is God. His, he wants the best for you, and he is honoring you. And actually, the way that God works is he calls out your identity. You ever see the way the disciples were messed up? Peter was a basket case. We're going to talk more about this last week. Have you ever known anything about Peter? Peter was just, I mean, the dude was a, a cloud of dust, and he was constantly making mistakes. And his name was Simon. And Jesus stopped identifying him with Simon and began to call him by a new name. And he was calling out destiny in, in, in Peter. He's saying, you're not Simon. You're not the shifting one. You're the rock. And I call out the rock in you. And so that's, what, that's how the Lord operates. He calls out your identity. He sees Simon for who he was or who he could be or what he was and was not offended by who he was not. It's the essence of honor. And so Jesus honors himself beneath a fallen race. He lowers that lifts you up. We're going to talk about two places, places of honor. We're going to talk about honor, honoring honor from the heavens down and honoring the government of heaven. That's kind of where we're going to go today. And then next week we're going to talk about a more personal level about what honor looks like to us amongst each other. Honor is a key. It is a key to the kingdom. Say this. What I honor, I will access. What I will not honor, I will not access. What you will not honor, you will not access. Honor, God has arraigned the world and the, the kingdom of heaven that access is granted through honor. Very easy illustration. When you come to Christ and you honor him as Lord, what happens? Something happens in you, right? You've just, because of that act of honor, you have gained access to his, his spirit and to his presence. Access to his spirit and presence was granted to you based upon the honor that you gave him by confessing him as Lord. Honor creates access on every level. And so honor is a key to the kingdom. It is a key that unlocks doors. It is a key that unlocks realms. The church stands outside beating its head against the walls, wondering, scratching its head why on a lot of levels because we do not understand the principle of honor as it relates to heaven. Heaven is released through honor. Heaven strikes the earth through honor. And if we do not understand honor, then heaven cannot strike the earth. We get this? As you honor Jesus, so he will manifest. You, don't, you honor Jesus in the only... He manifests to the level that you honor him. He manifests to the degree of your understanding. If you don't honor him in the ways that he asks to be honored, you will not have access to that part of his personality. Jesus is not one-dimensional. He's multi-dimensional. He's a multifaceted diamond with many sides and many angles and many views. And when the lights strike him, it fractures in many different ways. And it is only the ones who honor him that get to see the bend of the light. It's through honor we access his heart. It's through honor we access his realms. It's through honor that heaven is released. It's released through honor. We have no prophetic voice within the church because we don't honor the prophetic voice. So therefore, there is no access. We don't have healing in the church because we do not honor healing. Therefore, there is no access. We do not have all of the realms that God has set before us and said, if you will honor me, these are yours. And why do we not have it? Because we do not honor it. God said, I'm a great king. Where is my honor? If you will not honor me, I will find a people who will. This is what he told his people in Malachi. If I am your father, where is my honor? In other words, because the people were complaining, why isn't heaven showing up? That was what they were complaining about. People were complaining, where is heaven? We fast, we pray, we rip our clothes, we throw dirt on our heads, we lament, we look really pathetic. We cry out to you, Lord, but you don't show up. And the Lord's like, really? Let me explain to you why I don't show up. 
And he says, your, your, your actions do not equate to honor. The action without honor produces zero. Nothing. Nothing is produced. And he says, if, I am a, if I'm your father, then honor me as your father. I am a great king and I am worthy of honor. And he begins, to, literally in Malachi, he begins to confront the people on the whole essence of honor. And he tells them, you offer me the lame and the crippled. Go take it to your governor and see if he'll take it. You offer me what's left over of your time. Offer it to your employer and see if they'll take that. And the essence is, am I not more worthy of your, than your employer? Am I not more worthy than, than your governor? You know, therefore, if I am this to you, then honor me in respect to that. And so the, 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 what God was showing them is that there was no access because there was no honor. Because, say it with me, honor, honor. Creates, creates access. So if that's true, we need to learn how to honor, shouldn't we? We need to learn how to honor God, and we need to learn how to honor his government, and we need to learn how to, how to honor one another. Mm. Honor amongst ourselves creates tremendous access and power. Next slide, please. Honor sees with the eyes of the Spirit. The prophetic culture of the church is mandatory. It is not an option. The prophetic culture within the church must be established. Because without the prophetic culture, the people cannot see and the people cannot hear. And if they cannot see and they cannot hear, then they cannot honor. And if they cannot honor, then heaven does not flow. Because honor produces access. So we honor the person by seeing as God would see. We do and honor the person as God would say. We honor. That's how we honor the Lord. That's how we honor one another. Watch this. You ready for this? Jesus looks at the people. Ready? This is always, it's, it's not just interesting the things Jesus says. What's interesting is the way that he says it. Because there's always an implication behind what he says and the way that he says it. He looks at him and he says, are you still dull? Do you have eyes and you still can't see? Do you have ears and you still can't hear? And you can't even process this from, mem from memory? And we look at that and go, wow, that's interesting. What is he actually saying? He's implying that he expects his people to be able to see. He's implying that he expects his people to be able to hear. Not with natural eyes, but with spiritual eyes. He's implying that it is an expectation of the Lord upon you and upon me, upon everyone who names the name of Christ. The master expects it. Understand that? The churches might not expect it. The shepherds might not expect it. The culture might not expect it. But I can give you on full authority that the master expects his people to be able to see in the spirit. And the master expects his people to be able to hear in the spirit. Because without it, there is no honor. And without it, there is no access. That's why we do fire starters. That's why we do the school of prophetic. Why? Because the master, the Lord of the house, wants you to be able to hear. The Lord of the house wants you to be able to see. It means that much to him. It should mean that much to you. You should be willing to inconvenience yourself. I'm not trying to get a crowd because I didn't even want to do fire stars. They asked me to do it, and I said, oh, okay, all right, I'll end up doing it. I mean, I like doing it, but you should be willing to inconvenience yourself to do these things because it's what your master wants. We honor, and honor creates access. And what's going on here, because the people couldn't hear and they couldn't see, they couldn't honor Jesus. They couldn't see who he was. They couldn't discern in the spirit who he was. Therefore, they could not honor him. And without the honor, they could not access who he was or the gift that he came to bring. Hello. 
Could it be we do not access or reveal or receive the things that God has for us because we're too dull and we have not learned to see and hear? It's just a question. Could it be that we don't really discern the Lord properly and we don't hear the Lord properly and we don't see as he sees or take the time to hear as he hears? Solomon asked for a hearing ear. He didn't ask for wisdom. Read your Bible. He asked for a hearing ear. Say, he asked for wisdom. No, in the Hebrew, he asked for a hearing ear. He asked to be able to hear the voice of the Lord to discern wisdom. That's the language in the Hebrew. He didn't ask God, just give me this gift of wisdom. He said, let me hear your voice that I could speak and I could discern wisdom. And the Lord was so impressed. He said, because you did not ask me for riches and long life, because you asked me for that, that you might govern my people well, the Lord said, you have it all. You don't think hearing and seeing is important to the Lord? <laughs> it's very important. So we have to understand they couldn't understand who he was, therefore they couldn't access the gift. They didn't understand who he was or what he came to give. If you do not honor him, you cannot access him on any level. That's any level. Any level. Honoring him in the relationships, honoring with your time, your money. We have to honor the Lord in all areas. If we will not honor him in all areas, we will not access him in those areas. It's just a rule. It's a fact. It's a supernatural fact. It's a key to the kingdom. You want access, man. The key's in your hand, right? You have it. Learn to honor. So what does it look like? How do we, so the question now is, is if the Lord is desiring honor and we are to honor him and an honor creates access and honor is what causes heaven to strike the earth and the realms to open to us, the question should be, how do we honor the Lord? The Bible's very specific on how we honor the Lord. It doesn't hide it. It's very specific. We honor the Lord, we surrender to him. When you surrender your life to him, you honor him and you get access. We just talked about that. But also for the Christian, what it means is you present every area of your life to him and you gain access into those areas of your life. Whatever area you're ruling, Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't there. I can assure you of that. He's going to let you rule. Okay, you want to rule your time? Kevin, have at it. Are you going to honor me with your time? Okay, now you have access. Now time now all of a sudden becomes more abundant, whereas time was now deficient because I've honored the Lord, abundance. Jesus fills the void of deficiency, always. When we honor him, deficiency, the void of deficiency is filled. You're honoring God with your time here today. He's blessing you. I hear people say, man, that was a long, that was a, you know, you talked for a long time, but it just seemed timeless. Why? Because the Lord fills the void. He's, you're honoring him. He's increasing it. He's multiplying it. We honor the Lord with obedience. David, or prophet, told Saul, obedience is greater than sacrifice. Saul's attitude was, I'm going to sacrifice and go off and do what I want. And the prophet said, you got it all wrong, Saul. God is not interested in sacrifice. He wants you to do what he wants, not what you want. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Here's one for the Christian. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Wow. We should put that over the doors of the church. I, I, I see that. Like, over the Lord, you know, we do, we're going off into the mission field. Yeah, that's great. You know, may the Lord bless you and keep you. That's great, too. But how about we put over the door, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? To remind us that obedience is an honor unto the Lord. To call him Lord. Jesus said, these people honor me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. Is that the honor that he seeks? He's not interested in the honor of the mouth. He likes it, but he's more interested in the honor of the heart. That leads to the honor of the mouth. That leads to the honor of the hands. Offering is an act of honor. Ooh. 
Oh, I knew it. I knew it. Going there somewhere. No, I'm telling you, it is. I can name about five things, and I can only call to remember three things where the Lord says it's holy. Prayer is holy. When, when God says that's holy, you know what he's saying? Don't touch it. That matters to me. Prayer is holy. Okay. Worship's holy. The offering is holy. The Bible says in Leviticus, the tithe is holy. The tithe is mine. That's the first thing he says. The tithe is mine, and it is holy unto me. Honor the Lord with your possessions and your first fruits. So how do we honor him? With gifts of monetary substance to establish his work. That's honor. In, uh, inevitably, when I say that in any environment, somebody's going to go, nah, and think that's a bunch of beans. But I would challenge you. Here we have honor producing access. Here we have a promise with a condition. Okay? If you will honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits, that always relates to tithing, with all your increase, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You see the access? Barns aren't filling, vats aren't overflowing without, without that. It's not happening. You know, I, I tell Christians this, if you, read, if you even want to read Philippians, I think it's 4.16, my God shall supply all my needs according to riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We quote that, but if you quote it in context, it was related to their giving. They were giving, therefore the promise of need provision was activated. But we quote that blindly out of context, but we cannot, and then we wonder, well, I thought God was going to supply all my needs. Well, without the honor, the access is not produced. We got to understand this. Heaven is a system. It works. It's a system. Well, God works in mysterious ways. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He's very, he's very, he's very understandable. His processes are very understandable. You say, oh, you know, well, I don't want to get off on that. But that's the, the essence of it. We honor the Lord with the offering in honor. So when you give, it is an honor unto him. We have tithing. We have tipping. Okay? Tippers, I give what I want when I feel like it, if I'm in the mood, if I don't. The tither is the obedient giver. They give the 10% of their increase. They give the 10%. That's obedience. You say, does God get mad at me if I don't give the obedience? No, he's not getting mad at you. But you're not accessing it. You're not accessing it, Christian. You just got to adjust your expectations. Obedience. I had a guy, I told this story for a service. Sherry's going to kill me because I'm going to tell it again. I had a guy one time sent me down. He goes, Kevin, he wouldn't take me lunch. Sit down with him. He's like, hey, I gave $5,000 to the church last year. I'm like, awesome. You know? And he's like, I just want to tell you a few things that need to go on around here and a few things that need to change. I looked at him. I said, well, you don't look like a guy who lives on 50 grand a year. I mean, the guy's got all kinds of cars and all kinds of houses. And I told him, I said, I know people that start work at Starbucks that give more than you, dude. You know? And I said, first of all, your money, that money that is not, you know, that shouldn't, it has any influence on anything that we do. I didn't even care what the guy gave because it really didn't matter because I don't know. I don't, I don't focus. I don't know what people give. So, you know, I know numbers, but I don't know who gives individually. That's not, I don't know that. And I don't want to know that because I don't really care because I don't want anything affecting my ability to serve people. So I don't, I don't know that. That's not my, my department. But what but the guy ends up doing that, and I told him that, and I said, listen, you're tipping, you need to start tithing. Just a thought. Just a thought. Maybe there would be even more increase. Maybe the money that you're making, the 250000 a year, would go to a million. Maybe God would increase that to such a degree that you could become an even more abundant blessing to the people around you. Maybe the wage would go up. Maybe there would be, God will give you not just the material, but he will give you the supernatural. He will give you creative insights and designs into how to make money. Deuteronomy 8.18, God gives you the ability to create wealth. It's given to you. 
God will show you how to make money. People show up and go, hey, I just want to bless you. I just want to give you money. You'll get the job the other person won't. And people go, that's not fair. Nothing fair about favor. Nothing fair about favor. Come on. Nothing fair about favor. Honor produces access. We have to understand that the offering is an honor. We have to understand, next slide, that obedience is an honor. Submission unto Christ is an honor. Worship is an honor. Ascribe to the Lord the honor that is due His name and worship the Lord at the beauty of holiness. That's why when you worship Him, you experience Him. Why? You're worshiping Him, you have access. Understand? When you're not worshiping Him, you don't really, I don't just feel the presence of God. I'm not really feeling the presence of the Lord. Well, worship him, and you'll immediately have access. Worship creates honor, because worship is honor. You're creating access. We worship the Lord with our bodies. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify your God. Your, 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 uh, we're going to drive the car right up into the driveway here. Therefore, glorify God with your body. We honor the Lord with our bodies. Boy, that's a message for American churches today. Honor the Lord with your bodies. What does that mean? It says you're not created for sexual immorality. It doesn't mean we don't operate our bodies in a manner in which God has not prescribed. God has asked us to honor him in the way that he has prescribed. We have gender confusion. We have all kinds of marital confusion and sexual confusion in the world. The Bible's not unclear about these things. And you have to understand that you possess your vessel, that's your body, with honor. And that honor is unto the Lord, which means we do marriage the way God does. We do sex the way God does. We do relationships the way God does. We honor God with our bodies. Even the way we take care of ourselves, we honor the Lord. Honor creates access. And I could go off on this any further, but I do not want to. <laughs> Please don't encourage me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> when we align ourselves with heaven's purposes and values and priorities, heaven is released. We are fools to think that God lets the river flow on human conditions. The river does not flow upon human conditions. The river flows according to the value system of his sights of his kingdom. What you have to understand is the culture is going to do whatever the culture wants to do because they're not a part of the culture that you are. We are a part of a kingdom culture. We are not of this world. Our lives and the way that we do marriage, our lives and the way that we possess ourselves with honor is literally to be a testimony to the world around you. How can you be a virgin? Everybody's doing it. How can you love one woman and be faithful to her your whole wife? How can you not do all these other things or any of the other things? Because I am not of this world. I am not of this culture. I'm telling you, identity solves a lot of problems. When you understand who you are and you understand where you're coming from, I, you know, most people don't know where they're coming from. The Christians should know where they're coming from. We're coming from that world. That world is our world. And so we bring ourselves into that world and we draw from that world and we live from that world. And that world becomes a light. What does it mean to be a light of the world? I mean, we've reduced it down to feeding the poor. Well, when we feed the poor, we're a light to the world. Is that really what Jesus had in mind? You know, a big pot of rice on the corner or some bologna sandwiches. And, you know, really? Jesus thinking sack lunch here when he said we're the light of the world. Is that what he was trying to get across? It's not what he's trying to get across. He's trying to get across the lifestyle and the attitudes and the love and the honor that we express through our lives is a, an attraction. It's a supernatural attraction. 
Then there's the second thing. So we honor the Lord first. And then the other thing is among the Christian, here's the idea. The way we honor God is by becoming part of his church. America is an individualized country. This is part of our American culture. And we even take the gospel and we say it's my personal relationship with Jesus. I don't really find that in the Bible. I find a personal connection to Jesus in salvation. But when you personally come to Jesus, he brings you and makes you part of a, starts with a B, body. Jesus isn't about individualism. His vision is for corporate unity and a church that's united as a body, as a functioning form, not individual. I just would, want, I would argue that maybe perhaps, just perhaps, just wondering, maybe perhaps some of the problems that we find within the churches and within the lives of the Christians are because we're too individualistically seeking and we will not commit ourselves to a functioning part of a body and we will not come under the government of heaven. When you do not under the government of heaven, again, heaven will not flow. What is God's government of heaven? And I'm, listen, I'm going to go right out here on, on you for it, because some of you know, maybe know what I'm about to say, or you, you've had some bad experiences with what I'm about to say. But just because you've experienced this badly from men does not mean it's not heaven's design. What men are expressing is not what heaven is intending. The Bible uses it this way, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to equip the saints that they may do the ministry. The purpose of God has a five-fold ministry. It's called the hand of God. Peter calls it the hand of God. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Put the hand of God on you. Humble yourself beneath it, and God will lift you up. What is this all about? Well, the purpose of those ministry gifts, say it with me, the purpose of the ministry gifts are not to rule the people, but to empower the people and equip the people. The ministry gifts have been abused to the degree that we believe, or the, the minister believes, that the purpose that I have, this ministry gift, is to rule the purse, is to rule the church. I rule. Well, no, you lead. You don't rule. There's only one ruler. His name's Jesus. I hate to tell you that. You know, what we do is we serve. And my job is to empower the Christian, to take you and empower you and to direct you into a body, into the purposes of God. That's the purpose of ministry leadership. Most of the abuses have come from the form of dominating leadership. And a lot of Christians have been abused. The word apostle or prophet or even evangelist is a painful word to some people because of the abuses that have been enacted with men who carry that title. Just because someone carries that title does not necessarily mean they're operating according to heaven's economy or to heaven's regard. So it's important for you to have a healthy understanding of what God's government looks like and what the purpose of the government is for. Okay? So we understand that. God gave it, and why does he do it? Okay? This is for the church. The gifts of ministry to bring us into the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. So this is the purpose of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. To bring people into the unity of faith, to bring them past the cunning trickeries of men, and to build us up in love, and to grow us into, into Christ, whom, whom forms the whole body. See, it's not individual, it's body. Joined together, there again is unity, by whom every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Again, we function together as a body. Body. The leadership is to teach the body how to function together and causes growth and edifies or builds itself up. Okay? That being understood, we have to honor the government of heaven. We as a Christian, you should be part of a church. If you're part of this church, you're welcome to be here. We love you. We want you to be part of it. There's no such thing as lone rangers. You're called to commit and connect to a church and to humble yourself under the ministry. That's where people go wrong. And that's why they don't feel heaven's flow or their lives are short-tracked because they will not give themselves into the ministry or submit under the ministry of the church. 
I have people go, I'm called to be an evangelist. I said, not if you don't submit to a church. I'm called to be a missionary. Not if you don't submit to a church. All glory flows through the church. God will never give you your own until you serve that which is another's. You can never learn to lead until you first learn to follow. This is a lesson I'm teaching my son, who has very dominant leadership gifts. <laughs> he wants to tell everybody what time it is. If you've ever been around Elias, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And I try to teach him, listen, you have leadership gifts. Great. But you will never be able to use them unless you learn to follow. Until you can learn to submit, you will never learn to lead. Just a fact. And so we learn to lead by following. Next slide, please. So here's the deal, and I'm going to go fast. I hope not, but maybe I will. Hopefully I'll get it all done. <laughs> God created an order and a government on the earth. The apostle, pastor, evangelist, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Now I know this might seem irrelevant to some of you, but if you're a Christian, you're part of a church, so it's important for you to understand the government that God has established. And why? God, this is the government of heaven upon the earth. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher. This is the ruling body or the ruling assembly within the church. All five of those ministries ought to be operating within the church. All five. What we've done is we preach a gospel of reduction. Not me, but this is what American Christianity does. We love the pastor. We love the teacher. We tolerate the evangelist. But there's no room for apostolic gifts. And the prophet, well... That's long past. We don't need you either. And so the church is literally neutered in its form and neutered in its government because we make no place for the ministry gifts within the body. The church should be functioning apostolically, prophetically, evangelistically, pastorally, and instructionally teaching. That should be a form and a function within every healthy church. And if it's not, then the church is not operating according to the government of heaven. So a prophetic government is not necessarily the church's idea, it's Jesus's. An evangelistic government is not necessarily the church's ideas, it's Jesus's. An apostolic form of government is not the church's ideas, it's Jesus's. He created it, it's his church, can we agree? Church doesn't belong to men. Church is not a creation of men. In fact, the church is such a mystery that we look at it and scratch our heads and go, why? Because it's a creation of heaven. So what is the deal? Apostles. What is the role of an apostle? What does apostolic ministry look like? And what does the apostolic form of ministry look like within the church? And one thing that happens is when ministry begins to form within the church and the gifts of the, of the ministry gifts begin to happen within the gifts, you know what happens? The people are awakened to their own calling. All of a sudden, people feel, start resonating with the prophetic. They start resonating with the evangelistic. They start resonating with the pastoral. They start resonating with teaching gifts. They start resonating with apostolic gifts. Because the, the gifts are now active within the church, the oil or the presence begins to flow to the body. What we honor in our churches is pastoral ministry and teaching ministry. And we have churches that are filled with all the right knowledge with people who couldn't care less. It's the apostolic ministry that creates the movement. It's the prophetic ministry that creates the declaration. It's the evangelistic ministry that creates the harvest. The pastoral ministry is kumbaya, let's all get together. I love pastoral ministry. I, don't consider, I consider myself more apostolic than I do pastoral, but, I, but nonetheless, I hold the position of a pastor because we don't know any other way to identify the church's leader, so we just call them pastors. The Bible calls them elders, but we call them pastors, but whatever, it's fine. We can go there. But I just want you guys to have a little general understanding of what this looks like. So what is an apostle? An apostle is a sent one. To do what? Comes from, the, comes from Alexander the Great. 
Alexander the Great and Rome, Rome followed Alexander. Alexander the Great would come in there, boom, he would conquer these massive swaths of territory. He'd conquer cities. And once he conquered the city, he would move on to the next one, and he'd take a group of people called apostles or apostolos, and he would take the apostolos, the sent ones, and he would go, go back to that city and reculturalize that city. Bring Greek's government to that city. Teach them to dress, teach them to eat, teach them to think, teach them to marry, teach them the process. Make that city Greece. Apostolos. So what is the role of the apostle in heaven's eyes? To bring the culture of heaven to the earth. To go and fill the earth with the foundational knowledge of the word of God. Teach the people how to think, teach the people how to see, teach the people how to understand. The apostle is the establishment of the government of God upon the earth. Apostles at their core are builders. Yeah, and we are an apostolic ministry. We are an apostolic people. And what I would say to you is why all of these calls, you are an apostle, you're an apostle. You are sent to build something. You're, gonna, you're called to build something. You're a prophetic people. You're sent to proclaim and declare something. You're an evangelistic people. You're sent to reach somebody. You may not reach anybody, everybody, but you're called to reach somebody. You're a pastoral people. You're called to care one for the other. You're a teaching and instructing people. Paul said, by this time, you should all be teachers. What does that tell you? The church should be being brought into teaching and being brought into becoming teachers. Again, we have to understand the form of government that God is asking for. We have to understand the church, understand what he's asking. So what happens when the apostolic gift is, is happening in the world is there's a transformation. The apostle is not a step. Here's, here's the thing. Because we don't make any room for the apostle or for the prophet within the house of God, the apostles and the prophets within God's church wander the earth. Because apostles are not interested in the common church. They are not interested in what is already built. They are interested in what can be built. That is the resonant call of the apostle. Paul said, I will not build upon another man's foundation. He's not interested in what somebody else has built. He's interested in what can become. If you look at the ministry of the prophet, which we can understand from the Old Testament, they built a room for the prophet. The, lady, the widow woman built a room for the prophet. The church builds no room for the prophet. So the prophets wander the earth. The apostle wanders the earth because we don't understand it. The apostle brings the vision of movement and building and this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to go. This is what heaven can look like when it comes to the earth. When we do a school, we're not just going to teach academics. We're going to teach culture. Amen. That's apostolic. We're not just interested in sitting around holding hands, singing kumbaya. That's wonderful. But we're building a kingdom. We're building an establishment upon the earth, a citadel for the glorious king. That's the call of the apostle. The apostle doesn't rule. The apostle serves and leads the people, the prophetic. He hears heaven's sound and sees heaven's sound. He has a heightened discernment of a prophetic gift to see and hear and to teach the people how to hear and see heaven's sound. That's a prophetic gift. So the prophet within the church hears and sees heaven's sounds and he teaches the people to become a culture of prophets. Would God not that all his people prophesy? Well, Kevin, you got to understand that the age of the apostle and the age of the prophet died out long ago. Really? But you're telling me the age of the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher is still alive. That's what we'll say. Oh, no, the apostle and the prophet are dead. But the evangelist, the pastor, and teacher, if you understand Bible school and you understand Bible structure, you cannot say that. 
There's something called hermeneutical law, which says what you begin with, you must, fin you must complete. And the idea is, is if you eliminate the apostle and the prophet, you must also eliminate the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. You can't eliminate part without eliminating the whole. That's how doctrines formed. That's how we get into heresy and false teachings, is when we start saying things such as that. We have to take we, that from a hermeneutic and from a, any Bible college, any Bible scholar will teach you that. And yet they violate that same principle by teaching such things. They're violating hermeneutical law, and that's why the church is off doctrinally. That's why the church is off in power. I didn't say it's not off in salvation, but it's off in its purpose because we, we violate the very structures in which God has established by denying apostolic and by denying prophetic gift. You say, I don't understand prophetic. It doesn't matter if you understand it. Humble yourself beneath it and believe and accept that it is God's intent. It's his intent. So whether you understand it or not is irrelevant. It's God's design. It's his intent. So we're to set the, the apostle sets and establishes the, the foundation. The prophet hears and understands and sees and discerns the sounds of heaven and teaches the people to walk in them. The, the apostle, the prophet actually brings the people into their prophetic understanding. One of the things a prophet does is declare heaven's identity. That's the very foundation of all the prophetic gifts. The prophetic gift finds itself in seeing as heaven sees. The prophet is to teach the people how to see as heaven sees to see themselves and to see others and circumstances as heaven would see it. That's the prophetic gift on earth as it is in heaven. Next slide, please. Evangelist is all about hearing and proclaiming the good news. So we have a prophetic word that comes from scripture. This is true. But we also have people who operate within the office of the prophetic. That's a dominant gift. They carry a dominant gift of prophetic ministry. All of you in the room, you're going to carry some aspect of all of this. These are ministry gifts to the church. I carry aspects of all of this, but I'm do more dominant in one area than I am another. Evangelists herald, they herald the good news. Their message is always, it doesn't have to be the same. You can come to know Jesus. They're all about the lost, so you're having breakfast with an evangelist, and they'll look around and go, why are we eating breakfast? There are, the, there are lost people out there. We need to get out into the world and get, bring these people to Jesus. Why are we sitting here eating eggs? That's an evangelist, right? Pastor is the shepherd. He's the one that brings them all together. Shepherd likes keeping the people together and keeping the people healthy. That's a shepherd's call, okay? Keep them together and keep them healthy. The teacher sets order. What the teaching gift does is they set an order and they replicate the vision. The teacher understands the vision and says, okay, here's how we're going to replicate it. We're going to set up a system and we're going to replicate. We're going to produce this. That's a teaching gift. Teachers are about process. Some of you here are about process. That's probably an indicator that you operate with a teaching gift. Just saying. So how do we honor these gifts? So we have to understand this. I know it seems a little academic, and it might seem a little boring to even some of you. Others of you, you're infatuated with this. This is fascinating. But you, it needs to be known. Right? We need to know how this stuff works and why it works. It's important. It is important. How do we honor it? We honor the apostle by asking, what the heck are we building? Here's what Peter says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. We're building things here. We're building a culture. I'm going to talk to you in the next couple of weeks. We're going to do a school next year. God, help us. Yes, help me out. Jesus, help me. Pray for it. Call it in. <laughs> That's right. What are we building? The church should be building something if the apostolic gift is flowing. Align yourself with the resources and the vision of the apostolic calling. You might go, well, I don't have a vision to build a school. 
Well, he didn't call you to do that, but you're part of a church that's called to build a school. So align yourself, humble yourself right here, 1 Peter 1, 6, 5, 6. Humble yourselves under God's hand. Humble yourself under the ministry, under the calling. Prophet, how do you honor a prophet? You honor the prophet by honoring and hearing what heaven is saying. You want to honor a prophet? Align yourself and order your life according to the prophetic word. That's how you honor the prophet. Some of you, you've had prophetic words spoken over your life. You've heard it. God has spoken over you. He's called out identity. He's even called out purpose. You've not honored it if you do not obey it. You've not honored it if you've not aligned yourself. Some people say, like, I'll just give you a real simple one. This is super, super simple, right? Like someone will look at me and say, how does heaven see me? I see the Lord just sees you as a princess. I just see you like glowing and you're like got a crown and you just see you as a princess. Okay, God just called out an identity. He just called out a prophetic identity to you. So how do you honor that? You honor that by beginning to think that way. You honor that by beginning to align yourself with the prophetic word that God has just spoken over your life. Do you see yourself as a princess of heaven? Do you see yourself in the attitudes and the actions that you take that are aligned with the prophetic word that's been placed over you? Honor creates access. So if heaven is declaring you a princess and you begin to align yourself and you begin to honor the word that's been spoken over your life, could it be that the access of that world will begin to be, that access of that world will begin to materialize? You know what the most common word that's been prophesied over me? From, Cheryl will tell you, she's like, how many times have you ever heard that word? My whole Christian life, whenever I've been given myself to the prophetic, I've always heard the word builder. You're a builder, 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 you're a builder. People don't even know me, you're a builder, you're a builder, you're a builder, you're a builder. I've heard it a thousand times. But until I align myself and understand the fact that I'm a builder, therefore there must be something that I need to be building, I will not access the word that's been given to me. Do you understand how this works? So we get, listen, I tell people when it comes to prophetic word, prophetic word is powerful. Ready? Jesus is prophet priest and king that's his title the church likes to focus on jesus's kingship oh it's just king jesus it's all about king jesus no he's prophet he's priest and he's king so therefore if you and i serve a god who's a prophet priest and king that means we're a prophetic people that means we're a priestly ministry people and that means we're a kingdom dominion people it's just the thought so we have to understand this is what it is. Prophetic words are a dime a dozen. You want a prophetic word? They're there. God's always got something to say. The question isn't whether or not you can get a prophetic word. The question is, is are you going to do anything with the prophetic word once you get it? And it can be a simple prophetic word over your identity. Once the identity is spoken, take it and refuse to live by an alias. If God has declared your identity and you live any other way, you're living by an alias name because heaven doesn't recognize that name. Just a thought. <laughs> God calls you princess. Why are you living like a pauper? Why are you living like a beggar? Why are you living beneath what God has declared over you? That's an alias. God doesn't recognize that. He's told you who you were. He's told you who you are. And you have it not only through a person, you have it through the word. More than conquerors, overcomers, saints of God, ambassadors of Christ. Those are prophetic declarations already spoken. Do you live as an ambassador of Jesus? That's a prophetic word that's already released. You're more than a conqueror. Do you have the attitude and the mindset that you can't be defeated? Because that's a prophetic word that's already been spoken over you. We honor that and we access that when we align with it. So how do we honor? This is how we honor. We evangelistically. We bring lost people. Participate. 
be a part. Churches operate. We operate apostolically. We operate prophetically. We operate evangelistically. We operate pastorally. And we operate teacherly. Why? Because it's what Jesus wants. Okay? It's what he wants. So all we're trying to do is give Jesus what he wants. And believe in that he's going to pay for it and give us a tip. That's a, that's a whole... That's a whole. <laughs> So how do you honor the prophet? You honor the prophet. Then you, we have to do evangelistic things. Honor the evangelistic processes and people by bringing your lost friends and by participating in the things that we do evangelistically. Pastors, one of the things that's a pastoral ministry is the small groups. That's what pastoral ministry looks like. It creates an, an atmosphere where we minister one to the other. So how do you honor the pastoral ministry within the church? Group up. Get, be a part of a small group. I don't feel like it. Humble yourself beneath what God is doing. We get it? I don't feel like building. I don't think the church should build. I don't feel like giving to the building. I don't feel like doing any of this. I don't feel like that. Humble yourself beneath it. I don't like the prophetic word. I don't understand the prophetic word. I think it's weird. I just don't understand it. Well, then you, first of all, you don't like the Bible because the Bible is a prophetic book. That's number one. And secondly, you don't like the Holy Spirit because that's the operation of the Holy Spirit. He speaks on behalf of the Father and the Son. Doesn't matter if you understand it. Humble yourself. I don't like evangelism. I don't like feeling, I, like, I get really uncomfortable and I feel weird when I have to invite my friends. You know, I feel weird. Humble yourself beneath the vision. I don't like small groups. They get a little weird and I, you know, I just kind of feel naked when I'm in the group and it's a little too, you know, I don't know. Humble yourself beneath it. Teaching, teaching's all about process. I don't like process. I don't want to be a part of any process. I don't think I need to be any part of process. First of all, nobody likes process. Okay? Your school, your kids tomorrow, if you have kids, they're going to be going into school. School is a process. Woo! Yes. Your children in about three weeks are going to be telling you how much they hate the process. But teaching is a process. Am I right? We've got teachers in the room. Schools are not run by, by apostles, if you want to go ministry. They're run by teachers. And teachers run people through a process. Nobody likes process. Does anybody like process? A very small amount of people like process. Most people don't like process. But process is necessary. Process produces the flow and produces the growth and produces the graduation. Okay? So we good? We understand this? You guys are going to be some insanely smart people. I can tell you that. You're going to, you're going to be like, well, actually, Pastor, the, according to Ephesians, the church is to be, you know, you guys are going to be like, oh, they're you know, going to be some heavily instructed people. You're going to know the church's government, how heaven works. You're going to know all that. I felt the Lord leading me to teach you this. I know sometimes, like even as a pastor, it seems a little, this is theological. This is more, you know, sort of, I would say, charismatic Bible school. If you weren't going to get this in ordinary Bible school, they're going to tell you there's no apostle and there's no prophet. I'm going to tell you there is apostles, and I'm going to tell you there are prophets. Okay? I'm going to tell you that, and I have it on good authority. <laughs> hey, we're going to take communion. So what is communion? Communion is a way of honoring the Lord. We honor God. Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me. It's an act of honor. We honor the sacrifice that he made. What communion also does is it unifies us because we take it together as a body and that we are part of one body bound by one blood. And so what's going to happen is I'm just going to let you guys walk around and grab it because we, uh, we don't have any music this morning, but that's okay. We don't need it. So... I'm going to pray and bless the elements, and then if you just make your way around and bring the, the cracker and the juice back to the seat with you, uh, we'll take it together. So let's just pray. Father, we just bless this time. I bless these people. I release your word, Father. Let it not return to you void, God. Let it accomplish what you send it forth to do. 
in Jesus' name. Lord, we bless this time together that we would unify and honor you through this, uh, through this time of communion. We bless the elements, Lord, in remembrance of you, and we bring you glory, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you just make your way around, grab it, bring it back to your seat with you. We'll take it together.